2: Fun fest. They have no idea. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to our program on WFAN. This is Bob Soler. Yeah. On the road, shall we say. On the Sunday morning. Well, you know. Look at it this way. Life is a challenge, and we are in for one. For quite some period of time, hopefully you and yours are hearing well uh, during this um, bout with COVID-19. It's just incredible what is literally happening. And I want to share some thoughts from some very good guests who are going to join us on our program this morning. In the first hour of our program, I'm pleased to say that we are joined by a gentleman who has spoken with us before on our program? Last time he was on, we had a very lively discussion that worked some of you into as well. Jonathan Bell is joining us in the first hour of our program. He is a labor and employment attorney and founder of Bell Law Group. And uh, he is joining us to talk with us uh, about this COVID 19 situation and employees. Jonathan, first of all, good morning. Welcome to our program on the fan again.
3: Uh, good morning, Bob. Thanks again for having me on.
2: It's nice to have you uh, join us. How have you you and your family been faring?
3: It's been a busy time just because of the nature of what I do. I'm getting a lot of uh, calls and inquiries from employers and employees alike. Um, you know, my law firm is trying to do our part in the community. We're giving out all free advice uh, related to uh, COVID-19 Uh, situations uh, whether it be uh, layoffs or uh, the new laws that have been passed by New York State and federal laws so we've been busy uh, we've been serving our community and uh, of course given the situation and the dire need for um, good legal advice and sound legal advice we haven't been charging uh, anything for our services
2: Well, I guess one of the questions that naturally comes up is this whole idea of, because a lot of people are at this point saying, all right, how do we really get through this? As employees, what do you say? What advice do you give? Well, it's funny how things have changed
3: from earlier in the week until now. You know, the first um, number of callers had to deal with, you know p- people who um, either felt sick and didn't want to go in but the employer was forcing them or the employer has someone coming in they felt was sick they wanted to know their rights to send the individual home and now it's evolved to well basically everybody's home except for the what's deemed essential and I'm getting asked uh, by employers how, how you know could they just fire everybody is there any better alternative because they feel loyal to the employees that work so hard for them so we started to talk uh, in which I could describe to your audience uh, in the program about furlough which is a which is a nice option and people have been calling us relating now to filing unemployment claims and I've been on top of the news as far as federally what the, what they're going to do I think um Schumer yesterday was on CNN and said something about some federal relief would be incredible and really relieve a lot of instru- uh, stress. What he's trying to get past is four months of federal unemployment where you get paid 100% of your salary, uh, which is not what unemployment normally does. Uh, 100%, it includes independent contractors, which unemployment never does. So it really expands unemployment, the amounts they pay. And what people are losing out on for four months, which really, if, if the federal government could pull that off, and apparently is getting some bipartisan support, if they could pull that off, that would be a huge, huge relief. They're talking about this um costing about $200 trillion. So mm-hmm. It's going to be a lot of money, but at the same token, you know, I'm getting a lot of calls, and everybody knows, you know, people are suffering, not only... You know, let's, you know, let's talk about the people who are sick. We're putting that aside. There's a lot of just people who aren't sick and they're concerned about their mortgage payments and their credit and putting food on the table and shelter, so there's a lot going on in our country right now, Bob. I'm sure you know.
2: Yeah, I, I do, and, you know, it's, it's only going to heighten, um, first of all, as we move closer to the end of the month, the start of the new month, and then as weeks, Turn into months with this Um, you know one of the things that has come up and I did see the uh, news reports last night about this proposal um, on Capitol Hill we'll see exactly how that works out you mentioned the term that I want you to explain for us this term furlough um, because this term has come up an awful lot in discussions like this in this past week First of all, what's a furlough and then, um, Jonathan, how does that actually differ from when somebody is actually terminated from a job? Okay,
3: so th- that's the advice I've been trying to give uh, most my, most of the employer clients I have for the, for the last week and, and now it's becoming uh, more and more of a popular phrase, which I'm happy to hear. So it, it, a furlough does not destroy the employer-employee relationship, okay? So basically, If I'm going to furlough one of my employees, I'm saying, listen, you are on an indefinite suspended leave without pay status. So you're not going to get paid, but but it's, it's a promise to the employee that when things pick up and that job is available again, that we're going to have you come in into that job. Uh, and, and, and so the, so the benefit, there's a couple of benefits to the employee. Number one, the employee knows that there's a promise there that he or she still has the job. Number two, health insurance, if the employee had health insurance, still continues during that time. If there's a company life insurance, that still continues during that time. Mm-hmm. And in addition, the employee can still, like if they were unemployed, file an unemployment claim during that time. So it's it's the best way to handle it. Now, this is important for employers to know, okay? It's good. It's saving you money while you don't have to work. You don't have to pay salaries. You train talent. You want to retain the talent when things pick up. There's always the threat that the employee can leave. They're allowed to leave during that period of time, that he gets some part-time work uh, during that time. But the biggest mistake that uh, employers make Is they don't disconnect them from email or anything company related because if you furlough an employee and then that employee starts to do some work for you, like emails, phone calls, whatever it might be, anything where the employer gets any type of benefit from the employee's action, that employee needs to be paid for that time. And if you're an hourly worker, they got to get the employer has to pay the number of hours worked if you're if it's a salaried employer employee you have to pay for at least a day and potentially even the entire week so employee that's the only caveat that that employees have to be very very careful on because if they don't pay them they could be subject to a wage and hour lawsuit and nobody wants to get hit with a lawsuit uh, in this day and age for not doing things properly Mm.
2: and that's another question that um naturally comes up, and you're an excellent person to turn to in this regard. What do you think is the perspective or possibility, probability even, of lawsuits against employers as a result of some of the complications surrounding COVID-19, especially as this grows from weeks into months?
3: Uh, I I think it really uh, depends. I, I, I think that You know, if you're a small business and you're virtually going out of business and you make some mistakes, um, you know, a a law firm is not going to go after you because at the end, there's not going to be a a, a possibility of collection. I think that if you are a major company or even a middle-sized company, but you're profitable and... You know, you're making mistakes. You know There's really no excuse right now to make uh, mistakes. There's plenty of labor and employment attorneys around. you got to call somebody knowledgeable to make sure this doesn't happen. But to the extent that you do make mistakes and employees are hurt due to your mistakes, and if you at any way benefit uh, uh, from your mistake, then chances are eventually, probably not right away, but eventually you'll be hit with a lawsuit. Some of these lawsuits have statute of limitations for three years. Some of them have statute of limitations for six years. So you've got to be very careful, and you've got to seek guidance. Uh, and, and that's really the key. I mean, that's the key to any business. You, you, you can't fly blindly during these times. There's always new laws coming out. You had at the beginning of the week, and I guess I'm focusing more on New York, but federally, I mean, there are some states that people go to work. So at the beginning of the week in New York, at least, The idea was let's pass laws so people who feel sick could stay home and people who have the coronavirus could stay home because the the, the thinking was if you feel sick, don't come to work because then it's going to spread. Bob, we all know that you don't have to show symptoms to get sick. I don't know why they took this approach at the beginning, which is why, in my opinion, things have escalated so quickly. But putting that aside, they started a law in New York that if you have a hundred or more employees, you have to pay 14 days of paid sick leave, guaranteed, and that's in addition to whatever other sick leave policy that you have. And if you have under 100 employees or 99 or less, you have to pay five days of sick leave unless you have Ten or less employees and and net uh, less than a million dollars, then you don't have to pay any sick leave, but you do have to hold the job open. So the intention was during that period of time, let's give people this benefit to feel free to stay home, and it covered whether you're staying home because you have the coronavirus or whether you feel sick and you're going for some type of treatment to determine if you have the coronavirus. And it, it was it was it was a decent attempt, but the problem is is that. That's for pe- em- employers who want to continue doing business, who could do business, but unfortunately, what happened is that doesn't cover anybody who was actually laid off or fired, uh, and they would have to apply for unemployment. So that's mm-hmm. essentially uh, what's been happening at the beginning of the week, and now it's all of this. Once you once you close businesses, it's all about unemployment. So what, I, what I'm going to do, uh, Bob, if it's okay with you, I want to give someone, give your listeners. A telephone number to call for New York State unemployment, in case they don't know. Uh, You want to call 888-209-8124. If you want to calculate right now, again, everything's going to change and the benefits are going to be expanded, but for right now, if you want to determine what your benefit would be, there's a great website, unemployment-benefits.org, okay? And also very important information for your listeners, because the unemployment office has been flooded with calls. They had, on Thursday, they had 350,000 logins by noon, as opposed to the average of 10,000 a day. So they decided to kind of break it down because people can't get through right now. Mm -hmm. So if your last name starts with A to F, you could call on Monday. If your last name starts with G to, to N, Tuesday. And if your last name starts from O to Z, you call Wednesday. And Thursday and Friday are, are for those people who missed their their, their designated day. So I'm just trying to get some really useful information out uh, to your listeners, of course. Would
2: mm-hmm. right. you just repeat the phone number? Sure.
3: It's 888 209 Eight one two four you could also log in through the Department of Labor state of New York uh, website and follow a claim through that.
2: and the website that you mentioned checking uh, on that that pertains to new york state
3: that that pertains to New York State, correct that that has nothing to do with uh, what we discussed earlier in the program, which we're again crossing our fingers and hoping that the federal unemployment will come through your uh for your workers
2: mm-hmm. okay um by the way we're talking with jonathan bell he's a labor and employment attorney founder of bell law group um would you get the website for your firm by the way
3: thank you yes it's www.bellbelllg.com, and a, a great way for you to get knowledge uh, uh on what's going on on a day-to-day i've been doing Uh, daily video blogs on my Facebook page which is at Bell Law Group and my LinkedIn page I do uh, updates every day and now Bob believe it or not before I start the video I have to start with the date because things have changed so quickly like for example Cuomo first put in place 50% 50% of your staff has to work from home and only 50% could go. I put that video up. The next day it was 75%. I put that up. Within a half an hour it was up to 100%. So things are changing so quickly that I almost feel like I not only have to put the date, I have to put the time because uh, uh, of how frequently we need change given this escalating situation. I mean, the only, you know, the only, the, 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 the only small silver lining and tough to say there's a silver lining when people are dying and the economy is shutting down. But I do see that people are spending a lot of time with family. They're going for walks around the neighborhood where they can, obviously mm-hmm. keeping their social distancing lines, but for neighbors, waving. Uh, I'm seeing some real uh, concern, which is uh, you know something that we saw after 9-11 and other tragic uh, events. So it seems like, from, from what I'm seeing here, in, in, in Long Island at least, that people are, are starting to come together asking how you're doing, what can we do, and uh, and, that, and that's certainly nice to see.
2: It's nice to see. It's a shame that it takes something like this to get us to that point um, literally, though. Sure. Um, I, I guess we should at least be glad that um, people are feeling concerned for one another uh, doing yeah. this. Now, I'm glad that you mentioned this whole idea about the percentage of non-essential workers because um, this has gotten confusing at times and then everything just went through the roof on Friday, um, especially in New York because Governor Cuomo um, uh, basically said that 100% of non-essential workers should stay home. Um, uh, The the figures are, are dates of... Um, Those announcements are different in Connecticut, in um, New Jersey. Uh, This gets into an interesting area here because one of the debates that often comes up then is, well, wait a minute, am I an essential worker or not? How do I determine if I'm an essential worker?
3: So that's a good question and um, I can tell you that (laughs) most employers who 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 want to continue working who i don't want to say that they don't realize the severity of what's going on but i guess you know they feel that need that you know maybe financially they they need to and they want to get their staff working i mean they're they're, you know we're we're fortunate that i'm an attorney where i set up my office for people to always work from home so in my office for example i have one attorney who always works from home i have other attorneys that they have alternating days so I'm set up uh, and, 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 and and feel very fortunate for that way. Other places like restaurants and bars where actually, you know, mechanics, it requires you to go to your job, they have it a lot more uh, difficult and they're shutting down. So everybody wants to deemed essential. But obviously uh, on the list are the, uh, any, anyone that has to deal with the medical field, right, they're deemed essential. Even... Uh, uh, even for your, for the animals, veterinaries are, are, um, deemed essential. Uh, anything relating to food. Okay. So grocery stores, supermarkets, even local restaurants where you can't go in and be served because they're involved in a uh, curbside pickup. Uh, I also heard that, uh, construction, construction workers are deemed essential. So, uh, I, I, I believe, uh, that, And maybe during one of the breaks, I could pull up the actual list that Cuomo put out, but there is a list that goes over every field that's deemed essential. But the fact of the matter is, and this is important for your listeners to know, if you're not on that list and you have an employer who's forcing you to come in and you refuse to come in, because there's a state mandate, you cannot legally and I use that word legally because anybody could be fired, but you cannot legally be fired. So if you get fired because you don't come in when there's a state mandate to stay home, uh, you can eventually bring a claim. And that would be a perfect example as to why somebody would bring a claim, because they were really wrongfully terminated. So OSHA covers the fact that you are you could say no to doing something that your employer asks when you feel like your life is put into any type of danger or imminent danger i believe now this is the calls i used to get before the mandate before the mandate i was giving the opposite advice i was saying, listen if your employer wants you to come in and you're not sick and you're able to come in but you just don't want to come in because you're afraid technically you could be fired and it doesn't seem like they, they're, 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 that they could do anything because there is no mandate. There's no requirement to stay home. But in this situation, an employer cannot ask you to violate the law. So now that the mandate is up to 100%, you absolutely have the right to stay home as long as your company or business is deemed non-essential. For essential workers, it's the opposite. You have to come into work. You can't stay home just because you're fearful of getting the virus. If we had all the doctors do that, there'd be a lot more deaths. So the essential workers must go to work, and they can be terminated. Um, again, but if they've been diagnosed with the coronavirus, or if they feel like they have the symptoms of the coronavirus, and they're going out and getting checked and getting and getting checked, then they could stay home. So that's really where the law is now.
2: And can. An employer um, basically ask somebody to stay home or to leave work if they exhibit symptoms of COVID nineteen uh, um, or, or even of the flu. Uh, I'm,
3: I'm sorry, Bob. I, that that uh, that question uh, got lost on me. What, what was the question again?
2: Okay. Um, can an employer ask an employee to stay home or to leave work? If they are exhibiting symptoms of covid nineteen or symptoms of the flu,
3: yes, an, an employer can you know once you know once this lift is, uh, is is up and we're able to go to work, i mean these are the questions I've been dealing with so yes if it, if a if an employee shows up to work and they're showing some symptoms of covid nineteen or any type of illness, the employer could could ask them to leave and show proof that they got a test before they're able to come back, and if it's negative. Then they have to allow them back. However, a, an employer can't take out a thermometer and put it in the employee's mouth, or do any other testing because that violates both the ADA and HIPAA. Okay. Also, mm-hmm. if if uh, let's go to a, 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 an important again, this is now goes back to once we're back in the workplace or even essential workers who have to work. Okay, if an employee gets diagnosed with COVID nineteen, there's no duty for them to tell their employer. Okay, there's no law that requires it because of uh, HIPAA and ADA. However, there is a moral obligation. The employee really should tell the employer. Once the employee tells the employer that, the employee tells the employer, the employer needs to ask or really should ask the, the employee, who have you come into contact with here? Give me the names of those individuals. You should approach those individuals then and send them home for 14 days. But it's very important, you can't disclose the name of the person who told you that they tested positive for COVID-19, that's another violation, okay? So you gotta tell the employee, by the way, another employee called, said they came into contact with you, was diagnosed with COVID-19, I'm allowing you now to stay home for 14 days to ensure that you don't have the symptoms of the virus. So that's really the correct way to handle a situation uh, where you have an employee who advises the employer that they've been diagnosed with COVID-19.
2: And is that protection in there in terms of the anonymity of the the person who says that they've been diagnosed with COVID-19, is that anonymity in there to protect their um, identity from the standpoint of reprisals or things like that? just
3: Yeah, you know, it it, it wasn't anything new or specific that changed relating to COVID-19. If I'm an employee and I'm ill uh, and I'm home and I tell my employer, hey, I have whatever it might be, whatever illness you have, they can't, due to HIPAA violations, go and and disclose it to other people, Uh, you know, in the Americans with Disability Act. Um, it's just not permitted under the law that I could tell one employee what another employee's diagnosis is if they share it with me in confidence. And, but re- realistically, to your point though, that's also a good reason because, you know, people are really afraid of giving COVID-19. And, and, uh, so there's going to be some type of stigma or potentially retaliation over that person or employee who, discloses the fact that he's he or she's been diagnosed. And also, if someone doesn't know that they have it, they come to work and they infect other people, then those people might be really angry at that employee, even though the employee really did nothing wrong, which is why fortunately, and again it just took them longer than it should have, why it took them too long to close schools. You know, the whole theory behind it was just totally wrong. We understand that you know young children really don't get affected don't have the symptoms of it but everybody knows that they could be carriers and then when you have all these kids in a school you know hanging out and and and, and touching and and playing and, and and grabbing the same things and then they go home and they're infecting the parents and the grandparents uh it's just was such a obvious way for the escalation of this virus to you know be transferred upon one another. So, I mean, you know, I don't want to say too little, too late, but it was a good idea to eventually close the schools. And, you know, this is the most severe quarantine I've ever seen uh, in my life, and I'm 46 years old, and hopefully it'll be the last time because, you know, as you know, the economy was doing terrific before this happened. And I think it's going to take many, many years uh, to dig out of this hole. But, you know, we've been through all this together and we always seem to get through
2: it. The voice of Jonathan Bell, he's an attorney, labor and employment attorney, founder of Bell Law Group. Uh, he has joined us in this first hour of our program. We're going to take pause in our discussion, we'll come back, talk more with you, Jonathan, in our program here on The Fan. Bob Salter Sports Radio 101.9 FM The
1: Fan Sports Radio 66
2: Oh, we always love it when those jingle singers stop by on Sunday mornings. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Siltree. We're in discussion with Jonathan Bell on our program. He's a labor and employment attorney, the founder of Bell Law Group, on the web at belllg.com, the uh, website. and He's joined us to talk with us about a number of um, issues and concerns surrounding the uh, COVID-19 coronavirus situation, one of the things I wanted to follow up on was talking about this whole idea of um, if somebody is um, a leave eligible employee and they use their sick leave for this period of time that we've come to be hear referred to as a self-quarantine period. And um, but they use that time even if they don't develop symptoms. Is that permissible for them to do that?
3: Uh, If they don't develop symptoms, uh, it is permissible to the extent that they are waiting for a doctor's appointment to uh, be formally diagnosed. And if diagnosed, they're gonna be either quarantined or non-quarantined depending upon the outcome of the test. So uh, if you do have symptoms, if you, if, you, I mean, if you don't have any symptoms, you still might fall under the law guaranteeing you uh, 14 or 5 days of, of paid sick leave, but uh, it has to be caring for somebody who's been diagnosed uh, during that time. Now, federal law, has also changed, and they're coming out with, again, this is specifically related to the coronavirus, so there's an expiration date on it. The federal law starts uh, April 5th and ends as an end date of December 31st, uh, 2020. And that gives you 80 hours of paid sick leave. Everyone's guaranteed 80 hours of paid sick leave for the same reasons, and including including if the school is closed and and so for childcare purposes. Now, this is the difference. If you have the coronavirus and you're staying home for yourself, you are entitled to eight, uh these 80 hours paid full to full your full pay if you're watching over somebody who's been diagnosed or your child is home from school, it's not full pay and it's limited to to a maximum of two hundred dollars a day so uh, there is some variation depending upon the reason why you're home and it's not in effect yet it's supposed to take effect like I said uh, early April Hmm. so they are trying to do their part there's also something called this is also important for your listeners to know same starting date federal law has now passed extended FMLA. Extended FMLA is strictly to take care of your child who's home because of the schools closed, the nursery's closed, whatever it might be. That's 10 weeks. The first 10 days, if you invoke this, the first 10 days are unpaid, but the remainder of the 10 weeks are paid, your salary, two thirds of your salary, again, up to $200 a day, but that's full 10-week time, and that's if you really can't work from home. So there are some good benefits coming out of this. Again, this was passed before at least the New York quarantine. I call it a quarantine, which is basically what it is. They want you to stay at home or just locally. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are other states, I'm sure they're listening to your program. It's good for them to know because they're still required to go to work.
2: Well, this whole idea of, if an employee is sick, they've, the person's already exhausted their incidental sick time, any uh, other form of paid time off, what then happens with that person?
3: So the beauty of the, the New York, the new New York state law and the federal law is it doesn't matter if you've exhausted your other leave. Your other leave is totally separate. They, they don't. See, see the the, the issue when this stuff was passing, Bob, was the fact that they wanted to give you additional leave. They don't want people to make a decision of, okay, I feel sick, but I have a vacation coming up in three months from now. Where Where do I use my leave? Maybe I should just go into work and infect other people and deal with it so I go on vacation. So what this law says, both federal and state, says, I don't care what leave the person has, you leave that alone, leave that in, in their leave bank. This is, even if they use their pri- pre- previous leave for a flu or cold or, so, or vacation, whatever it might be, this is, this has to be in addition to the previous leave that you gave them. Now, so so now the employer is like, wait a minute, this is some burden. I mean, not only am I expected to do, to make profits in this economy and pay all my employees, but now you're giving me an extra burden of all this, uh, all this paid sick leave. The federal and state governments are giving tax credit, sometimes a hundred percent tax credits for these for this additional pay, and those are also exceptions. Like for example, the federal government laws that I described, it only applies to employers who have less than five hundred employees. I'm not sure why they did that, but less than five hundred employees are exempt from this law. If you have 50 or less employees, you could file for a hardship exemption. So it really leaves a lot of Americans not covered under this new law, which is not right. But for some reason, you know, I understand the 50 or less because a lot of times you could argue that they might not be as profitable and they can't afford it and this would destroy the viability of their business. But I'm not sure what the exemption is for the 500 or. Plus
2: employees, it's got to be extremely confusing trying to keep up with all these different changes um, and and the like, um, because this is such a fluid situation.
3: That's why this is encompassing a lot of my time. Not only do I have to follow the changes, but then we have to then sit back, tell my tell my the clients I already have plus new people who are calling me, and some of the laws are a little bit contradictory, like New York State says 100 or more employee, uh, employees, the employer has to do this, but federal says 500 or less, so you got to figure out which one applies and, and, and what the obligations are, because there's New York State, there's federal, sometimes there's New York City, like New York City, I'm sure you know, because your New York City has paid family leave, That's mm-hmm. uh, that has paid family leave and sick leave. Sick leave is is uh is five days guaranteed, and Westchester adopted that. So it's uh, it gets a little confusing for the average person, the average business owner who's trying to run their business and not deal with this, but that's why there's experts and people who do this for a living. The problem is, is that businesses sometimes, for a much smaller fee, they don't engage the people who do this for a living, and then they end up paying a lot more because they mess it up And now they're subject to a lawsuit. Hmm.
2: In the long run, what are some of the ways that you see the coronavirus really creating lasting change in the workplace as we know it?
3: Well, uh, I'm going to speak for New York because this is where we are right now. But in New York, this is going to they're predicting 20 percent unemployment rate. I think it's going to be a lot higher. I think we we're, we're, we're going to be at 30 to 40% unemployment rate. It's very listen, I understand you have to do it for health. It's people's lives are in jeopardy. Uh, we got to stay at home, but at the same time, it's virtually impossible for a lot of businesses to function. And even my business that could function, you just don't expect it to be as profitable as uh, as it otherwise would be. So there's going to be throughout the state and the states especially that are mandated to stay at home, which other states might get to that level. And overall, I, I, I foresee a huge unemployment rate. Uh, I feel like people are gonna be unemployed for a long period of time because the, uh, j- uh, new jobs are gonna be relatively scarce. They're gonna have a lot of applicants competing for the same job. And listen, at the end, are we gonna get through this? Of course we're gonna get through this. It's just not gonna be as comfortable for us, as as it's been for the last 10-plus years at this point
2: in time. And then the other issue that uh, comes up is this whole issue of teleworking, because for many people, this has been an option. Um, Now, I think this is viewed in a completely different fashion in the workplace. Would you agree with that? I
3: would. I mean and that's a great point, Bob. Realistically, like I said in my office too, we've been teleworking or having the ability to telework for quite some time. I think that if we look at one positive thing that might come of this is employers are going to recognize the value value of telework. They're going to realize, hey, you know what? It's not that complicated given technology, whether it be for example Dropbox instead of a, a server in your office. Uh, or you know uh filing a cloud-based uh zoom for for uh, for meetings uh and and employers are going to realize you know what when the economy gets better this could actually save us an expense of renting an office we just don't need it so uh, i think that this is going to make uh some businesses who really can get some value out of te- telework who would have never realized it now realizes that this might be a good option for them in the future.
2: But can that also create more areas that are kind of gray areas when you're talking about the rights of those who are employees?
3: A hundred percent, and it really is salary versus hourly. If you are appropriately, and I say that, you know, that's a very important word, appropriately a salaried employee making over, Uh, the threshold of the FLSA, both uh, New York State and and, and federally, then technically your hours don't really have to be logged because you're not hourly. You get paid paid an agreed amount uh, a year or week to week or bi-weekly, and you can literally work at any time and you're not guaranteed any more money. You work Saturdays, Sundays. Your salary is what your salary is. For hourly employees, it's the opposite. If you have an hourly employee working from home, you have to be very, very strict with them with respect to the hours worked. You've got to make sure that you have a reliable way to log in those hours. You have to have written policies in your handbook that they sign that basically states that outside your working hours, you're not to do any work, um, check your emails, take phone calls, anything that the employer benefits from. Uh, and if you do, you'll let me know. And if the company doesn't want to authorize it, they say, "Listen, we're not going to authorize you to do it. But if you do it, we're going to pay you for it because you did it. But we 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 can we do reserve the right to discipline you as a result. So if an employee if an employee tells an employer, "Listen, I worked you know five hours outside my shift. I don't know I didn't have the authority." the employer can't turn around and say listen you you signed this document saying that you wouldn't do that so now I'm not going to pay you you could you're still opening yourself up to liability you still have to pay them although you could admonish them uh, in in writing or ver- it should sh- it shouldn't be verbally should be in writing you could suspend them you could even fire them but you have to pay them for the work that they did e-
2: Jonathan Bell on our program on the fan this Sunday morning's first hour. Jonathan's labor and employment attorney, founder of Bell Law Group, belllg.com, the uh, website for uh, his firm. Earlier in our discussion, you mentioned a website that is very important in New York State for people who are interested in finding out about unemployment benefits. Would you please repeat that?
3: Yeah, Um Let's see where do I have that have that have that written down for your <laughs> listeners? Okay, so I have here. I have a telephone number eight 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 two zero nine eight one two four eight 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 two zero nine eight one two four, or you could just Google Department of Labor, uh, New York State Unemployment. It'll come up. Uh, I am going to have that on one of my uh, uh, you know video logs today on my Facebook page, and also Bob. What I did do is I went and I went and I, and I pulled up all the essential businesses, and there's so many of them. It's going to take a long time for me to read that list. So I am going to ask anyone who's interested in in, uh, knowing which are the essential businesses to, again, go to my Facebook or LinkedIn page at Bell Law Group, and and within the next couple hours, I'm going to put up a vlog of all those listed as essential businesses. Also, what I found during the break was that there's an exemption. If you work alone, regardless of what you do, non essential You could go into you could go into work and continue to work alone. So I thought that was an interesting exemption.
0: Hmm.
2: It is interesting. Jonathan, as always, thank you very much for joining us. Wonderful discussion. Provide some very good information. Stay well, be healthy.
3: You too. Stay well and thank you for having me.
2: Well, we're heading to seven o'clock on our program on the fan this Sunday morning. Good morning everybody. Hour two of our program on Sunday morning. This is Bob Soldier. Yes. Very good. Do a nice calming deep breath. Inhale. Exhale. One more time. Everybody inhale. Slowly exhale. Now don't you feel a little bit better? Calm down. Relax. I know a lot of people are on edge. And that's something we're going to talk about in this hour of our program is this whole issue of trying to keep one's sanity with the coronavirus. I think it's an important area of discussion. We just mentioned, too, that after our 8 o'clock update, it's the Sports Edge with Rick Wolf. You're on the Fan, and Ed Randall will be by talking baseball after our nine o'clock update this Sunday morning. We move into a discussion in hour two of our program with a guest who is board certified as a psychiatrist. She's an award-winning and best-selling author. Um, in her background, she was actually trained at NYU Bellevue, and Anna Freud's London Clinic. She has served on the clinical faculty of UCLA's Neuropsychiatric Institute for years. She's known as Dr. Carol. Dr. Carol Lieberman is joining us on our program at this point. Um, She is quite busy in terms of things she's involved in. She hosts a couple of uh, radio shows, podcasts, travels the world speaking about a variety of different topics. She has some books to her credit, her latest book for children entitled Lions and Tigers and Terrorists. Oh, my, how to protect your child in a time of terror. It comes from Traika Publishing, and she is kind enough to uh, join us by phone from the state of California early on a Sunday morning for her. First of all, Dr. Carroll, good morning. Welcome to our program here on The Fan.
0: Good morning. Thank you for having me.
2: Well, you sound wide awake. All right, good. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> All right.
2: Um, many different things that I want to get into in our discussion with you, but I mentioned in starting this hour of our program this need for a perspective of sanity um, when it comes to talking about coronavirus. Would you agree with me that sanity is something that we need to sort of take a pause with? Absolutely. Um,
0: This is the thing that has been really overlooked to such a large extent. I think we are scaring ourselves to death. Um, People are not realizing, you know, there are all of these sensational headlines um, in the media and, of course, on emails, people trying to sell you things. (laughs) You know, there was one email, coronavirus, the sneeze of death, (laughs) that was supposed to then sell you something. So um, with all of these, you know, and and even calling it the coronavirus crisis in the media instead of, I don't know, the coronavirus challenge or or something, um, there isn't this this effort to realize how uh, significant it is that if you scare people, what happens is, you know, the more people are stressed or scared, the more it weakens their immune system. And then that makes it them more vulnerable actually to the coronavirus. So, you know, all of these, um, rules and, and, uh, you know, law, I don't, I don't know whether to call them laws necessarily, but uh, the lockdowns or the stay at home uh, guidelines, um, I understand about the value in terms of flattening the curve and all that, but there isn't anything being Said or taken into consideration, really, about the impact of isolation, uh, psychological and physical impact of isolation on people, which has, amongst other things, the impact of lowering their immune system and causing all kinds of problems.
2: And when you stop and think about it, you know, one of the things I had thought about in preparation for our discussion today was this whole idea of. How can people who are listening to our talk really find ways to cope with this idea of being quarantined, which really is isolation when you get right down to it? And I I mean, um, one of the things that in some states people have been encouraged to do and a lot of people seem to be doing is, um, in some cases, just where you can, get out take a walk a little bit, Uh, and a lot of people seem to do that, but at the same time, in other areas, we're hearing messages where people are being told, literally, don't leave your home, except in a very emergent situation. Yes, and it's all rather
0: confused.
2: It's a lot to deal with that, yes, because you're hearing conflicting messages, too.
0: Right well so how does some, um, how
2: does somebody cope with that dr Carroll?
0: Well I have uh various suggestions for that um, i I want to well, i can, i can start with that i mean the the um the things that people here's the the thing <laughs> um you know we are hearing uh, talk about uh, conflicting views or instructions and so on. We are hearing even just in regard to the coronavirus. We are hearing so many different um, accounts by scientists or doctors or people, you know, um, giving us information about this in terms of uh, how many feet we should stay away. I mean, some people, of course, mostly say six feet, then five feet, or then three feet when it doesn't suit you to do six feet, right, um, or 15 feet. And the same thing with how long the coronavirus lives um, outside of a person you know, and depending upon the surface and so on. So there's all this conflicting information. And bottom line, you can't outsmart or outwit the virus. So what you have to concentrate on, instead of all of these panicky headlines and so on, what you have to concentrate on is what you can control. And what you can control is what you do for yourself. And that is how healthy you can make yourself psychologically and physically. So, psychologically, um, the most important thing would be to do off every day to be doing things that decrease your stress, from meditation to listening to calming music to uh, taking a walk. You know, certainly everybody can, or most people can, at least in New York, I know. I'm I'm originally, a, I'm a New Yorker born and bred. So, um, you know, you can at least stick your head out the window if you don't have a terrace or or you could walk around the block um, and try to stay away from people. So, And also I'm recommending that people, uh, this is a great time for families to adopt a pet because pets are very comforting. Um, Then also, of course, the things that your mother told you or should have told you um, when you were a kid, the basics, you know, we all hear wash your hands. But in addition to that, eat nutritious food, take vitamins, Get enough sleep, get enough exercise. I mean, so many people are, are up in the middle of the night um, w- listening to the radio or watching the television or going on the Internet, you know, trying to read more about coronavirus. And that, of course, is, is really um, not helping their health. And then, so that's one of my next uh, recommendations, to avoid fear-mongering news stories or associating with fear-mongering people. And then um, it's important, even if you're in isolation or quarantine, to keep in touch with people. You should make a list of all the people who you want to um, be in contact with or who you're concerned about, want to reach out to, who, you know, maybe um, might need uh, to hear your voice. And then just every day call at least three of them, at least. Um, then... One thing that people aren't doing um, is to visit their doctor, not necessarily if they are feeling coronavirus symptoms. I mean, of course, then you do that. But even if you're not necessarily feeling anything, that you're not feeling sick at the moment, but you want to check that you don't have any underlying uh, condition because that will make you have a more serious coronavirus um, illness if you do indeed get it. But even if you do have, especially if you do have underlying illnesses, diabetes, heart disease, and so on, um, you should go and make sure that this condition is really at its optimal state. You're taking the right medicines. You're doing all the right things for it. And then if you're what I call coronavirus stress syndrome, if it's really out of control, then you can get psychotherapy even from your home. Um, And then, of course, a plan, you know, as your last guest was saying, things are changing like even every hour. Um, so it's, but you so you kind of have to keep revising your plans. But um, but you should have a plan. Like, what if this lasts two weeks? What if this lasts two months? Um, and then, and if you at least have a plan B and C and D, then that can be calming as well.
2: Let's go back to the very beginning of that answer, and I appreciate what you just shared with us. This connection and this need to... Many people have to constantly be connected. Um, You know, looking for the latest update. um, They have to have all this news. I mean, how potentially dangerous is this... The addiction that some people have developed to the, their devices.
0: Well, you mean particularly now, of course, um, in regard to coronavirus, mm-hmm. it is very dangerous. You know, after nine eleven, um, there were studies that showed that people who kept uh, tuning into television, kept watching the twin towers fall. Uh, could develop, did develop, a certain percentage of them did develop PTSD even if they were nowhere near the Twin Towers or any other place, uh, that was hit by 9-11. And, um, I think that the same thing is happening here now. That the more, because PTSD comes from, um, being exposed to a life-threatening problem. And uh, so, of course, just like you know, terrorism, um, coronavirus is also potentially life-threatening. And so uh, the more that you just keep watching this and, and keep um, you know, hearing about the statistics and so on in a very alarming kind of way, which really, I mean, it's so interesting. I mean, uh, in a, in, not in a good way, but the way that statistics are being presented are also being sensationalized um I mean the statistics i'm just looking at on the internet the uh, the number of cases that there are in the um u s um is approximately twenty six twenty seven thousand and not that that's anything to sneeze at <laughs> you should excuse the bun but um but and the number of total deaths is three hundred and forty eight um I mean, not again. Not that that is any death is really sad, but um, but you would if I bet you if you went on the street and you asked someone this question, how many people do you think have died already in the U.S. from coronavirus? They would give you a number much higher than that. Exactly. And, and it, it, everything is being presented. And when you think about, you know, the actual flu, the regular old, common old flu, so far this year. In the flu season this year, 2019-2020, this flu season, there have been over 14,000 people who have died. 16,000. Over 16,000 so far who have died. So, I mean, you, you know, but these numbers aren't being put into context. And so, I, I mean, I don't. that's the part, I must say, this is the part that I, I struggle with every day. Um, why, you know, I mean, okay, the obvious answer to get ratings and so on, but besides that, it seems like there's more to it for why, um, what is behind us being scared to death, making us scared to death?
2: Mm. When we're talking about um, some of the restrictions, changes in uh, the way in which people are living now, uh, one of the things that probably has a big impact on a lot of folks is this whole idea of gyms being closed. Uh-huh. What's the psychological effect of not being able to exercise?
0: Yes. Um that has that has a very uh, significant effect. I mean, exercise is a great stress reliever. And in addition to that, it makes us feel uh, like we're doing something good for ourselves. Um, So it makes us feel good about ourselves, makes us feel like um, productive and so on, which is why, I mean, I can see that's one of the few places that I could see why um, it's closed because, you know, people's bodily fluids and, um, I mean, there is more of a, that is more, and people definitely are very close together, like in classes and so on, and using the machines, touching the same machines. Um, you know, I could see that, but that isn't an excuse for people not to exercise. Um, as I was saying before, taking a walk, uh, even just simply taking a walk, um, you know or some people have things in their home where you can make things you can you know you can pick up two cans of soup okay, like raise it over your head you can be um you can be resourceful and think of things to do in your own home uh that's exercise
2: mhm exactly We're going to take a pause in our discussion with you and come back, talk more with Dr. Carol Lieberman. Dr. Lieberman is board-certified psychiatrist in Beverly Hills, California. She is an award-winning and best-selling author. We've got a lot more to talk with her about on our program on the Fan this Sunday morning. Bob Salter, Sports Radio
1: 1019, FM, Sports Radio 66, WFA.
2: It's Sunday morning on The Fan. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Salter. Along after our 8 o'clock updated Rick Wolf with the Sports Edge program, we're in a discussion with Dr. Carol Lieberman, Dr. Lieberman's board-certified um, psychiatrist in Beverly Hills, California. She's joining us early on uh, Sunday morning. Um, she's originally from uh, New York, and she's got a lot to share with us in our discussion. We're talking about uh, some of the effects of um, the coronavirus and the way in which we live, um, some of the um, heightened sense of awareness slash hysteria that there is associated with this. And we'll also get into talking about how it is that she recommends that parents uh, talk with their kids about this. I wanted to ask you a couple of questions just as a follow-up to something that, in a way, we were talking about in the first hour of our program this morning. And that is A lot of people are out of the traditional workplace as a result of uh, concerns about the coronavirus. Is it possible, do you think, for some people to simply
0: lose their motivation to ever return to the workplace? Hmm. That's a good question. I mean, in addition to the fact that there are going to be so many businesses that go out of business. um, Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yes, I think that that is definitely possible, um, especially you know, if I mean, you know, I I was starting to say isolation itself can have such an impact. For example, um, uh, it affects the cardiovascular uh, system. It causes can cause heart attacks and strokes. And um, of course, psychologically, it can cause anxiety and depression, and even some suicidal ideation. And um, and there's a the the mortality from these kinds of illnesses. Um, uh, you know, basically, it's like stress. It's it's like stress in general. It's a kind of stress. And stress, you know, causes everything from um, headaches to high blood pressure. And as I was saying, especially it it decreases the immune system. That's especially important today, you know, with coronavirus and makes us more susceptible to everything from colds to coronavirus to uh, cancer. And so all of these things by by isolate and and just doesn't seem like the people who are making these um, decisions that we should quarantine or isolate or lock down, whatever you want to call it don't seem to be aware or are taking enough those kinds of things into consideration because the the, uh, the death rate of, from these kinds of uh, problems from the isolation um, is probably more than the death rate from coronavirus, which is still really low. That's another thing I was talking about um, uh, how figures or statistics are presented, you know, the death rate really, um, in our country, is really still around 1%. The reason why uh, it, there's often a higher figure given is because it's looking at the whole world. So when you start, of course, with China and then add Italy, and those death rates have been much higher... Um, then that brings the total death rate up you know if you 're looking at the whole world, but for the u s it really is not that high, and then you have to take into consideration all these other things that are going to be consequences and just like um just like nine eleven uh, there you know we have seen, and I have been studying this, because when 9-11 happened, that changed my life, even though I wasn't at that time in New York. My daughter was going to college there. Um, but I decided after 9-11 that I was going to devote the rest of my life to helping people um, cope with the ongoing threat of terrorism, uh, which, <laughs> which people seem to be forgetting in this uh, epic of, of uh, coronavirus right now. But anyhow, that's a whole other interview. Um, but we can learn from some of the things that happened in the long run after 9-11. Uh, and it's going to be worse in a way, depending on how long the coronavirus issue lasts and how long we're isolated and what the economic effects and so on. But um things like after 9-11, there has been an increase in obesity because people began then and are continuing to stuff themselves with comfort food. Well what do you think people are going to be doing now when they're isolated? I mean granted uh you know in some places sometimes food is not that easy to get but it's getting more prevalent, more available. Um but so there we could expect more obesity. We can also expect um people to be uh engaging in alcohol and drugs more during this period of isolation. And um, and of course, as I was saying before, anxiety and depression, and so other psychiatric problems. So, those are the things that have to be weighed against um, what we're doing right now.
2: What about the potential for an increase in divorce because of the yes. quarantines?
0: Yes, yes, that is a whole. <laughs> um, uh, you know, um, there is definitely going to be an increase in divorce. Um, and an increase in babies, and, um, (laughs) which is gonna be, which is gonna be a bad combination. Um, there's gonna be couples are either going to get closer together, uh, if they can find creative ways to try to relate to each other, discover new things about each other, um, be uh, united together against the common enemy of coronavirus, that kind of thing. But um, I think for a lot of couples, it's going to be the opposite way. You know, things that bothered you about your significant other before, but when you were separated, you each were going to work, or one of you was going to work, so you weren't together 24-7. Now all these little things that bothered you about them are going to be heightened, you know, because you're going to be exposed to them for many more hours a day. So, um, and plus all the fear, that can, again, that can either have the extreme effect of bringing a couple together or uh, making them go farther apart, getting angry, That's, which is another thing. Domestic violence, unfortunately, is going to increase the cases of that. And then what? You know, um, if, they, if, if couples feel like they can't uh, leave, I mean, you know, obviously, if you're getting angry at your significant other, and you feel like you're going to explode, you should go out and take a walk, regardless of whether you're on isolation, quarantine, or whatever you want to call it.
2: This whole idea of um, collective fear with coronavirus, a natural question heading into a discussion like the one we're having today is to ask you, is this something that's legitimate or is it overblown?
0: The fear? Mm -hmm. Oh, no, it is definitely overblown. I mean, I don't mean, you know, I always hesitate when I, I mean, when this first started, I created what I called um, the coronavirus stress syndrome with 10 symptoms. And if you have at least three, then you have it. And some of the things um, that were on that list is basically an overreaction to coronavirus. And some of the things that are on the list are now things that we are being told to do. Like, for example, um, well, my most extreme was staying at home until the pandemic passes. Um, and so, you know, now in some places, that's what you're being told to do. So, um, but I do think, I think everyone is overreacting to it. Again, not that there is, not that this, uh, not that people, some people can't die from it. There are going to be deaths, but as I was saying before, the flu still has a higher death rate, and as does isolation. We we're we're going to see, um, and and it isn't doing us any good. You know, it's like what FDR said uh, in 1933: the only thing we have to fear is fear itself.
2: Mm. How can someone who's listening to our discussion today deal with a person or people who just seem to be in a perpetual state of panic over the virus?
0: Yes, it's so interesting. Um, the more people I talk with, the more I hear about either them, they or people they know are freaking out is how they describe it. and And it's... <laughs> And a lot of these people are very intelligent people who, and otherwise, um, relatively calm, who you just would not expect to be freaking out over this. But uh, it is the hype. It is the hype. Um, the headlines. Um, you know, floods of patients, uh, preparing for floods of patients. Um, what else? I'm looking at, there was, there have been so many interesting, you know, this whole thing, of course, about panic buying for toilet paper. Um, it was is crazy. I mean, that's an example of of mass hysteria and not just uh, coronavirus stress, but coronavirus psychosis. You know, I mean, yes, we all need toilet. Oh, and then this is such a good example. We all need toilet paper, of course. But like, you knew um, that when there was this shortage of toilet paper, that people were going to be using other things, and they were going to be flushing them down the toilet. And sure enough, mm-hmm. I don't know whether this is a problem in New York, I imagine it is, but sure enough, in California, um, there have been headlines about how the sewers are getting stopped up because of all the things that people are flushing down the toilet. When you're mm-hmm. stressed out or terrified, you don't think in a common sense kind of way. And this is an example of what happened.
2: I'm glad that you mentioned that because um, it simply was incredible, the level of panic that people got into over this inability to um, have toilet paper. And then the other aspect of this is this whole idea of hoarding. Yes. Where people, you know, I've been in, uh, unfortunately, and I do say this, unfortunately, I've been in a number of stores over the past week, uh, including yesterday, and not that long after our program today, I'll be in another one, okay? Um, but I don't go into the store with the mindset, I'm there to buy everything possible that the end of days is at hand, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it seems that so many people are just... I, I watch people pushing carts that they can barely move because they're so worried mm-hmm. And it's like, what on earth is going on? You know,
0: have people just lost their minds yes people really um are literally losing their minds you know it's like uh it's like what squirrels um hoarding nuts for the winter um mm-hmm. it's you know it's it's a it's sort of a, a delusion that if you have enough toilet paper or you have enough whatever you know you you grab and to hoard that somehow that will protect you from uh from dying or from the end of days um that like that that things that objects um uh, and of course food you know is is especially symbolic um because it <laughs> it's the nurturance you know it goes back to, we're we're regressing is what's happening um i mean that's like what i was talking about before people eating comfort food um but we're regressing to the stage of being a baby and getting um, satisfaction or getting fulfillment from being fed either, um, you know, in a bottle or a breast, um, and wanting that feeling of nurturance and of comfort. Um, And also comfort food, by the way, comes from, like, the things that people pick for comfort food has to do with what they received from their parents when they were growing up, if they... Um, If something bad happened and their parents wanted to, you know, cheer them up and gave them ice cream or cookies or uh, pasta or whatever it was, um, that's what they tend to go to in times like this, because really what they're looking for is that feeling of comfort, like everything's going to be okay.
2: Hmm. And that there's a need for them to feel that. There's a need for them... To feel reinforced by having that present, is that
0: what it is? well, it's just comforted the same um the memory it's the memories uh
1: mm-hmm.
0: whether it's the memories of being a baby and being comforted and held while you're being fed or the memories of um being comforted by some special treat, food uh, by your parents for having either either for having um, you know maybe for fail, failing a test and wanting to make you feel better or not getting picked for the school play, or on the other side um, some celebration of something that you did well, so it's the good memories that you that you're trying to recreate with a particular kind of food or food in general. Mm.
2: Talking with Dr. Carol and Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with us this hour of our program on FAN. And one of the things I want to get into when we uh, return, we're going to take a pause for a few uh, messages here. I want to pose a question to you I'd like you to explore when we come back is the ways in which you think this country is going to be forever transformed after the virus uh, passes, which hopefully will be sooner rather than later. Um, Dr. Lee, we'll take a pause in our discussion, come back with you, and talk more on our program on the fan this Sunday morning.
0: Bob Salter, Sports
1: Radio 1019 FM, the Fan and Sports Radio 66, WFM.
2: It's the Sports Edge with uh, Rick Wolf, long after our 8 o'clock update. Ed Randall's talking baseball is long after our 9 o'clock update this Sunday morning. And we are in a discussion with Dr. Carol Lieberman on our program. Um, Dr. Lieberman has joined us by phone. She's a board-certified psychiatrist. Um, She's joining us from uh, her home in California. A couple of different things I want to touch upon in the homestretch of our program this morning, and one of them I posed to you is a question before our um, message is there. In what ways do you think this country is going to be transformed once this virus does pass?
0: Well, I would like to say, and it certainly is possible, that necessity could be the mother of invention. And we could, you know, dig down into our resourcefulness and come up with all kinds of um, exciting new (laughs) ways uh, to improve lives. Um, I am, however, very concerned about a number of things that would not be so good for our country. Um, Again, depending upon how long this lasts and depending upon what kinds of uh, guidelines we're being given... um, but, uh, for example, you know, um, obviously with the stock market go having, being on a roller coaster and the mass layoffs from failing businesses, um, you know, that's that, that I, I mean, it's hard to even, <laughs> I think people, it, it's scary to even think about just how, um, what kind of an economic turmoil we could be thrown into end, um, you know, this whole idea of how much more money we are needing, giving people money, and, and I mean, not that that's, there's much of a choice, but all of the, the bailouts or the things that we're, do, that we're spending money on, in addition to the fact that we're not producing money, you know, doing things to make money. So it's even, it's, <laughs> it's too, uh, too horrible to even contemplate all the way down that road, Um, And as you were saying about could people uh, lose ambition because of being laid off and so on, which I think is a a good point. Um, Also, I love the way um, the New York governor has talked about uh, non-essential workers. (laughs) When I heard that, I was thinking to myself, I mean, you know, I get what he means, but if you happen to be in a job that is considered non-essential, what psychologically—that certainly there could have been a better way of putting that—and making all these people feel as though they, they don't count, they're not important, they can just go away, and we, nobody's going to miss them. I mean, these are the kinds of things that I mean—that there isn't being enough enough thought, isn't psychological thought, isn't being put into some of the rules that are being um, given down. Then um, closing schools, of course, Um, you know, that in itself is having a huge negative impact. First of all, just education-wise, I mean, that's the primary thing. Yes, some schools are having uh, online uh, teaching, but not all schools can do that. And not all students are really going to be, you know, going online or able to go online and continue studying. It also makes a problem for parents because what if two parents work, or one, pa- or if it's a one-parent family, um, you know, and what do you do with your children? And I, there's all these d- different rules about whether they can be daycares that are open and so on. Um, then. Um, Another thing that could uh, be done so much better and is not being done. I mean, there's so much really that could be done that to help us in this situation that isn't being done. For example, uh, instead of all this scary, negative, sensationalized news, there should be more news about positive things that are happening. Like, um, how about more interviews of people who have uh, recovered from the coronavirus? Um, you know, for example because there's more testing going on, of course it's going to turn out that we now know that more people are positive because there are people who aren't having any symptoms. And if they get a test and turns out positive, so they, their number goes up in the statistics. Um, but, but you know, they, they aren't really having, it doesn't mean that the virus is uh, worse. In fact, it means that because because it means that the people, that there are more people who are better or who, are, who aren't symptomatic and who are positive. And yet that kind of news doesn't really make it, um, at least not very much or not very big. The other thing is that when, when you're giving bad news about something health related, you're always supposed to, um, and I learned this when I was, uh, you know, getting my master's in public health after my MD, about how, um, how to use the media to, to improve, prevent illness, and to treat it. Um, you always are supposed to provide, if there's anything scary that you report or anything negative, you're always supposed to provide positive kinds of things after uh, the negative. And so far, I mean, really, for the most part, the positive things have just been wash your hands, you know, uh, or sneeze into your elbow. Actually... There isn't much press given to uh, the Wuhan shake. Do you know what the Wuhan shake is? Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's a fun thing for people to do, and that I haven't heard that being talked about. Um, <laughs> to shake each other's legs one at a time, obviously, mm-hmm. um, instead of instead of shaking hands. Um, and then, and then, of course, another thing. You know, the jails and prisons are being at least. Uh, I think all over the US or at least in some places all over the US um the jails and prisons are people are being let out. So here we have I mean just think of this. Here we have the good people <laughs> being isolating or quarantining, right? And we have all the prisoners being let out into the streets. I mean again, this is one of these things like like aren't you thinking about the consequences? Um, and then panic buying. We talked about toilet paper, but I'm sure you know that there's also been panic buying of guns. So we're, we're isolating, losing our humanity, and then more people are panic buying guns. Not that this isn't about, I'm not saying anything about against guns. I'm just saying that under these circumstances, you know, if everybody's holed up, and they have a gun and they're going to and they they've lost their connection with other people that's that's also a very scary scenario. So we have to get on top of these things. I mean, I I feel bad to some degree, you know, talking about all these things, but I'm doing it so that people can kind of wake up and recognize that maybe we need to rethink some things or certainly the the really most important thing is something I said at the beginning which is that we have, what we can control is our individual health, our psychological health, and our physical health um, by doing all the things that I talked about. That I'm sure you know, your listeners know. Also, additional things related to that uh, to to be resistant to um, both to the effects of isolation and to the coronavirus.
2: You have some steps that you recommend in the area of promoting coronavirus sanity, for lack of a better uh, term, for parents and children. Yeah. Can you share those with us?
0: Yes. Um, Well, first of all, kids follow their parents' lead. So if parents tell their kids, you know, try to just uh, push it under the rug, um, you know, don't worry, or there's nothing happening out there, Um, And then the kids see their parents running down the aisles of grocery stores (laughs) with masks and or gloves and trying to grab toilet paper or anything else that there is on the shelves. That is giving them the message that you are panicked. And so they're not just afraid of the coronavirus at that point, but they're afraid that their parent has gone off the deep end. So um, the first thing parents have to do is to not panic themselves and then to find fun things that kids can do or that you can do with your kids to relieve stress from uh coloring books to um to dancing putting on music that they like and dancing in the living room and i was I mentioned before getting a rescue pet and then the easiest way to explain coronavirus to kids is to say that it's like the flu like the cold a cold or the flu sometimes Sometimes it can get worse than that, but for the most part, it's like a cold or the regular flu. And then this is a great time, a great opportunity for parents to teach the kids the things that I was mentioning later before about um, that they need to learn and, and practice for their whole life, the eating nutritious food and taking vitamins and getting enough sleep and exercise. Um, and then, uh, of course, you know, see, this is kids that are home from school. What are they going to do? Most of them, they're going to be sitting in front of the television. What are they going to be watching? All kinds of news about, about how we're all going to die from coronavirus. So obviously, you need to limit that, um, for your kids. Not, don't let them watch the news. Um, and, you know, you can, you can certainly talk about, depending on how old they are, you can certainly talk to them about coronavirus in terms of the, um, you know, like what is a virus and what is this virus like and what do we know about it? That's okay, but not in a scary way. And then one of the big things is, um, you know, some of the kids have been, especially at the beginning of this, they were um, bullying Chinese kids, a lot of xenophobia. Um, even now, well, now a lot of the schools are closed, but um uh, blaming they don't really understand, especially if they're really young, they don't really understand that if these Chinese kids are not to blame um and so even not just China but you know then then Italy and Iran and all of that, so we you have to teach them um that it's not the fault of these of your playmates
2: mm-hmm. And one of the other areas that naturally comes up, too, um, for parents with kids, how do you recommend they deal with situations where the child will, say, talk about something very scary that they were told by a friend, by a classmate? Yes,
0: yes, that is um, a big problem because kids want to show other kids that they know more, or, or yep. to want to scare the other kids, uh, because then that makes them feel more powerful if they can scare somebody else because they're really scared. That's why they're doing it. Um, so you have to tell your kids to tell you anytime someone tells you something about this illness that um, that you're not sure about, it, or to, just to tell you any to talk to you about things that they're scared of or things that they heard that their friends said um to encourage communication, you know a lot of the things that um that I'm telling parents to do about coronavirus are similar to what I wrote about in in my book about terrorism for kids um, you know when th- when to notice how to notice whether your kids are feeling um feeling anxious uh what to do about how to notice whether they need professional help um but I think you know, the problem is one of the things that – ways that it's different from 9-11 is that um, in 9-11, we had a, one major thing that helped us get through it is that we all had community support, social supports. We helped each other, and we still can do this even though we're isolated with the phone and the computer and all of that. Um, there are ways, FaceTime and everything else – um, but we have to make a little more effort to make that happen, but that's that is so, so important and again, not with people who are going who are fear mongers you know try to calm their fears if you can or tell them what to do to calm their fears um But we do need this social support
2: and one of the key things to keep in mind, whether it 's for your kids or for yourself, goes back to something I said at the very beginning of our calm down yes i mean yes whether it's for your kids or yourself calm down this whole yes. idea of panic it, it's just spirals completely out of control
0: and paradoxically it's making you more vulnerable to catching coronavirus so er- all the time that you have, that you're not going to work or not doing other, not going to the gym, um, all the things that you would be doing otherwise, take that time and spend it on doing things that are good for yourself, for you to calm yourself and to make yourself healthier.
2: Excellent point and a great way to wrap up our discussion, Dr. Carol Lieberman, our guest on our program. On the fan this hour of it Um, Thank you very much for joining us And sharing the insights that you have Have a wonderful day
0: Thank you Well
2: that does it for our program this Sunday morning After our 8 o'clock update Rick Wolf is along with the Sports Edge program And don't forget what I said At the very beginning of this show today You want to keep calm Part of that Go back to the exercise we started this hour with Everybody join with me, inhale, exhale, one more time, inhale deeply, hold it, exhale slowly, there you go, it's that calming sense, relax, we will get through this, I know it's tough, it's a bit scary but we'll get through it. Now, stick around for the sports edge. And then, well, I've often said the fortunes of broadcasting change. You'll understand exactly what I mean by that if you're around after a 9 o'clock update. Mark Renee is going to bring us our top of the hour sports flash. We will see you next Sunday morning. Our thanks... To a phenomenal job by uh, Pete Hoffman and have a great Sunday everybody this is Bob Solter